And if you're a believer, we just stand and let's just give God praise today. It's good to be in his house and to be among his people. It's so good. Um, we don't, we don't want to wear you out. We really don't. And we know if you're a guest, it's many times uncomfortable to go to a new place. But look, just take literally, take just maybe 10 seconds. And if you don't know somebody, just say, hi, I'm Wayne, but your name instead of mine. And introduce yourself to them and just let them know that you're, you're really glad that they're here. If you're a guest, please know that we're so honored to have you. Again, to all of our guests, thank you so much for being here. We know that you can feel awkward coming to a new place, but we're just really honored to have you. Are you ready for the word of the Lord? I'm going to talk to you again today out of my heart. And basically, most of where I will be talking from is the Gospels the gospel of Matthew. But what I want to talk about this morning is all access. And that's what I want to just uh, speak to you today. God bless you. You can be seated. One of my, one of my favorite singers is an artist by the name of Michael McDonald. Now I know you older ones, please pray for me because my, my favorite Artist is not from the Gaithers or the Crab family, or uh, but y'all just pray for me. Pastor needs a lot of prayer. But one of my favorite artists is a guy named Michael McDonald, and he is from around the St. Louis area. Started singing uh, back in the seventies, and he was with a group called the Blues, and then some guys called the Doobie Brothers. Uh, I got an amen. Well, I'm liking this. I'm feeling at home. So the guys called the Doobie Brothers uh, heard him and brought him into their group. And these guys produced a lot of hits. And then in the 80s, Michael McDonald went on to become a solo artist and created some more hits. And as I uh, know a little bit about him, he, he has won five Grammy Awards. And in 2020, he just got inducted into the R&R Hall of Fame. Well, really just um, like him, like the artist, and he was uh, in concert in Vinton. And so uh, I saw that, <clears throat> somehow I saw it. I think my sister uh, actually told me about it because she's a big fan. We're both big fans. And she said, Wayne, uh, Michael McDonald's actually going to be in Vinton in a concert. You had to go. She said, I went. It was amazing. I said, great. So Jen and I happen to know a guy. He actually was born right across the road from here. His name is Jacob Lowry. And many of you know Jacob. He's a phenomenal musician. Well, Jacob was uh, playing the bass for Michael McDonald. He actually played the bass for him. So Jacob and I, our families, we're friends. And I called him and I said, Jacob, I said, look, um, Jan and I are coming to this concert in Vinton, and I just wanted you to know, I hope that I can get to see you and, and, and talk to you. He said, yeah, great, Wayne. He said, um, hey, by the way, would you like to meet Michael McDonald? And I said, man, he's one of my all-time favorites. I'd absolutely love to. He said, well, I don't know if I can make it happen, but I'll do my best. And so he said, listen, after the concert, he said, just hang out. Just hang out a minute. I'll come find you. And we'll see if we can make it happen. So I said, great. That's exactly what we did. He made it happen. And we got to go backstage, all access. I was able to meet one of my favorite artists of all times. We had a, uh, a great conversation. And you will be pleased to know that the question that I asked him, I asked him a spiritual question. I, I said, yeah, you'll be pleased. I said, tell me, what, what was your most spiritual experience? Now, 
I won't get into that, but we talked about what his most spiritual experience was, had a great conversation, really enjoyed getting to meet him. Now, here is the reason why that I am telling you that story is because of this. Jacob did for me and Janet really what Jesus did for all of us. Now, I I believe in the manifestations of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I do. I just believe that they're all one person. But the way that I'm going to talk will make you think differently. So I just wanted to give you that disclaimer. So here's what I want you to understand. What Jesus did, Jesus basically gave us access to God. Okay. All right. Because getting access to God in what we would call the Old Testament era was extremely difficult. You may not know this, but for 1,500 years, there was not direct access to God. No one had direct access. Now, there would be times that God would speak to certain men, but it was very far and few in between. Now, I don't know if you've ever really looked at the tabernacle and and looked at a picture of it, but let me just tell you that the tabernacle is basically three parts. It's the outer court, the inner court, and then it's the Holy of Holies. And in this Holy of Holies, there is what is called a veil. And the veil literally in Hebrew means separation. What it did was it separated God from man. Now, this is what Jewish history says, that this veil, this curtain, was 60 feet wide, it was 30 feet high, and Jewish tradition says that this curtain was anywhere from four to six inches thick. Now, I can't prove this by the scripture, but again, when you study what's called the Talmud or the Mishnah, you, you will find when you read these two Jewish uh, works of literature that they say that the curtain, the veil, was so heavy that it took 300 priests to hang it. Not only that, but also when you study, you'll find out that there was cherubims, and cherubims are angels, and a cherubim is the angel that guarded the entrance to the Garden of Eden. So there are also uh, cherubims that were like guarding the entrance to the Holy of Holies. Basically, they were kind of symbolic, and they were saying, you can go this far, and this is as far as you can go. In other words, you do not have direct access to God. But what Jesus did, and this, this, this is played out in Matthew 27, chapter 27 and verse 51. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that this veil, this four to six inch thick veil was ripped from top to bottom. That's enormously symbolic. Why is that enormously symbolic? Because when Jesus died on the cross, what he was saying is, is there's no longer distance between man and God. In other words, no longer will only the high priest be able to come into the presence of God dressed right having made sure his sins are atoned for. It's not just one time a year. There is no scapegoat. And if all of this is going over your head, this is just a little history in the Old Testament. There's no scapegoat to put the sins on the goat and the goat to go out into the desert. There is none of that anymore. Now, every person has direct access to God. And ladies and gentlemen, that is a really big deal. Jesus did for us what Jacob did for me. He gave me a backstage pass. He gave me 
an access to meet an individual. I'm not saying that I could have never met Michael. I'm saying it would have been very difficult on my own to meet him. But because of the relationship with Jacob, he was able to introduce me to someone that I have really enjoyed their music. What Jesus did was, is Jesus tore the veil and he introduced you to God. He let you know what God is really like. So then, all of that is an introduction to where I want to go. Now, let me ask you this question. I'm sure that most of you have heard this statement. If mama ain't happy, why is that? Because we know for the most part, mama's in control. And if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So now I got to thinking about that statement. And that statement led me to what I'm going to share with you. Here it is. What made Jesus unhappy? What made Jesus unhappy? And I've been looking at this in every instance in the gospel. When you see the unhappiness of Jesus or the anger of Jesus in every situation, here's what it all comes down to. And I hope this comes on the screen. Jesus got angry and here's why. He did not want anyone's religious attitudes to get in the way of God's love. God always wants and has wanted from the very beginning in Genesis, the number one thing that God wants with everyone in this room is God wants a relationship with you. And in fact, God literally wants a relationship with the world. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave. Now, there's just a big problem. And the big problem is sin. And, and the big problem with sin is, is that sin separates. And because sin separates and because God is so unfathomably holy that you and I can't even imagine how holy that he is, then he doesn't necessarily, he didn't necessarily want to be around man because man is sinful. But God is holy. So then that is the big disconnect. That was the reason for the veil. Does this make sense? So God set up a religious system called Judaism so that it could be a gateway and so that we could get closer to God. Now, the religion of Judaism was designed to temporarily give us peace from our sin and to allow us to have access to God. Now, by the time Jesus arrived on the scenes, the religious leaders of the day had made the system so complicated and exclusive that those on the outside never felt like they had a chance. Y'all, I'm fixing to hurt your feelings and I'm going to hurt mine. But I'm, I'm only telling you the truth. Okay? The truth is that salvation did not start or even come to the Gentiles. <clears throat> I'm going to hurt my feelings and I'm going to hurt yours. I'm sorry to tell you this. But in the Jewish mind, you and I were considered outcast. Okay, what I'm fixing to tell you is, is, is fixing to blow your mind. And I thought I would never say this, but I'm going to tell you because it's the truth. 
Do you understand, ladies and gentlemen, that the first five books of the Bible were not even written to you? I told myself I was never going to tell you that. The first five books of the Bible were never written to you. In fact, you really did not have any hope of salvation if you were not a Jew. You were considered an outcast. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make what I just said make sense. So you say, Pastor, why do we even read the first five books? Because in Timothy, it tells us that all scripture is given for inspiration, for education, for instruction, for reproof, and for doctrine. So now that has been engrafted in. But in the beginning, ladies and gentlemen, it was not written for a Gentile. It was written for a Jew only. Are, are you Okay. All right. So what these Jewish leaders had done is they, I don't know that they did it intentionally, but they made it so difficult that it was like nobody was good enough. If you were not a Jew, you just didn't have a chance. And so Jesus, I want you to look now at Matthew. I believe it is chapter 23 and verse 13. Now Jesus comes along and this is what he says. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And I'm going to just stop right there. This is what made Jesus unhappy. is because the religious leaders of the day were shutting the door to anyone that was not a Jew. Now look at another verse. This is now Mark eleven seventeen. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now you, you need to stay with me, please. The way that the temple, and you can go to Google and just type in pics of the temple and it'll show you this. What, 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 what I want to explain to you is that the temple was in the center, okay? But around the temple, if you look, if, I don't know if it'll make it out, but around the temple was considered the court, what that says is the court of the Gentiles. If you were a Gentile, you could not pass through that door. That was your court. You had to stay outside of the temple. And listen, only if you were a Jew could you walk through that court and then you can't read it. And I'm so sorry, but that says court of women. Then Jewish women were allowed into one side of the court, but they were not allowed actually in it. In other words, again, I'm sorry, it hurts my feelings, but women, you were not allowed in the temple. A Gentile, we were not allowed in the temple. The only one allowed in the temple was a Jewish male. And then the Jewish male, if he got into the holy place, had to be a priest. You could not get into the holy place unless you were a priest. And then you could not get into the holy of holy unless you were the high priest. And then you only got into the Holy of Holy one time a year after you went through all of these rituals to make sure that you didn't have any sin. Do you, are you getting the picture? This was very exclusive. Very exclusive. And so this place called the Court of the Gentiles is also known as All Nations. So I'm going to explain this to you. It's very important that you know this. So this is where the merchants and the Gentiles would set up to sail. And this is as close as they could get to God was the outer court. And so Jesus is coming and he's upset. And here's what he's saying. You guys, you Jews, you don't care about anyone but yourself. 
And not only now have you set up merchandise and tables and you're selling at exorbitant prices and you're robbing these people at exorbitant prices, but you're also robbing them to get as close as they can get to God. And God is upset because this is the all nations court. And he is saying, God is saying, Jesus is saying that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. I want everybody to be introduced to me. I want Samaritans. I want, I want women. I want children. I want the lepers. And you have to understand, none of who I just called was welcome to come into the temple. None of them. But Jesus, what Jesus did is he gave us full access. And he says, you can be a woman. You can be a child. You can be an outsider. You can even be a leper. And Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you tracking with me? Okay, now here's where I want to come and bring it to today. Ladies and gentlemen, Christians, brothers and sisters, Pentecostals, all of us, hear your pastor. This same religious spirit can overtake God's people if we're not vigilant to guard our hearts against thinking that the church is set up for our convenience and our comfort, and that's why the church exists. And I want you to have convenience. I want you to have comforts. But if we, as the insiders, get the ideal that the church just exists for our comforts, and this is my spot, and this is my pew, and this is my pastor, and this is my church, and we don't have a heart for lost people and a heart for those who don't look like us, act like us, dress like us, then we're losing the heart of Jesus. I want to talk today on Jesus came to give us access to God. Jesus was not, please put that building back up. I know uh, you didn't know, but I want it back up. Jesus, okay, did not, Jesus, in other words, when Jesus uh, came and he overthrew the money changers and he overthrew the robbers, Jesus was not jealous for the building. This is very important. Jesus was not jealous for the building per se. How do you know that? Because Jesus himself said that one day there's not going to be one stone left upon another. So Jesus prophesied that that building was coming down. And it actually did come down. So this is very important. Jesus was not jealous for a building. Jesus was jealous so that there was no obstruction to get to him. And that's why Jesus says, I'll move animals. I'll move people. I'll move religious leaders. I'll move them all out of the way. And I'll make everybody mad so that everybody knows that this is not exclusive. I came that all might Know me. I know that some of y'all don't understand me. I know you don't. And the Holy Spirit has talked to me. And this is why I'm preaching to you. I, I know that you don't understand why I preach the way I preach. Why I do some of the things that I do. And, and I, I need a few minutes of your time. I want you to know I was raised by Joyce Neeland. Joyce Neeland told me, Wayne... When you go to church, dress the very best you can. She said, if you were going to meet the president, how would you dress? I said, I'm going to dress the best I can. She says, you're doing more than meeting the president. Every week you're meeting the king of kings. Okay. So that's, I was, I was, I was raised by Joyce Laverne Neeland and she taught me to wear my best. To this day, I still wear a suit to church. I just, I feel comfortable in that. 
Now, why are you telling me that? Because I know the way Joyce raised me is not the way some of you were raised. But just because I wear a suit to church doesn't mean you need to wear a suit to church. It's just what I feel comfortable in. It's what I was raised up in. Now, if some of you have personal convictions about what you should wear and what you shouldn't, then if you leave those, then you're bringing sin on your life. But if you've never had those convictions, then guess what? You just come, let Jesus be introduced to you, and then he is going to work out your salvation as you continue to walk with him. He's going to give you your own convictions. And you're not going to do certain things or go certain places or watch certain things, not because pastor says you can't do it, but because the Holy Spirit says you shouldn't do it. And this is the way that we raise Trey and Molly. We understand you got a cell phone. On that cell phone is a lot of bad things. And guess what? We cannot, as parents, be with you 24-7. But the Holy Spirit can be with you 24-7. And if you will listen to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will tell you, you need to cut that off. That's not healthy. You need to get out of this. You need to back out of that. You need to shut that up right now. That's not beneficial. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. Okay? So you, you, you don't understand me because you're thinking that I'm trying to make things easy on people. I'm not trying to make anything easy on us. I am trying to stay with the word of God instead of man's tradition. Hey, can I keep preaching? So I honestly believe that if I would have been in Jesus's day, I do. I think I'd have probably done the same thing they did. I do. I, I hope I would have been different. But I probably wouldn't have been, and I hate that. But in Jesus' day, I do believe the church leaders had good intentions. But by the time Jesus arrived, they had so many well-meaning rules that the average person didn't even have a chance. Okay, now again, I'm going to just throw some things at you just because this is the nature, okay? The Mishnah. Okay, the Mishnah. What does that mean? It means the oral traditions of Jewish law. This is what the Mishnah Okay? said about the Sabbath. Check this out. It said that you can spit on a rock on the Sabbath, but you can't spit in the mud because that will make a mud pie and that's work. I know. That's how tedious it got. Okay. Now, I want you to look at Mark chapter 3. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus said this, okay? He said, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. Why? Because again, it goes back to the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Do not do any work. Jesus is in the temple. He's asking them, should I heal this guy or no? They're saying, they didn't say anything, but basically they're saying no, because our law says do not do anything on the Sabbath, even if it's good. And so uh, here's what Jesus did. Jesus turned around and he healed the man. Okay. If you read, if you read the scripture and you do a little research, you'll find out that seven times there are seven miracles that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to break their laws? No. Why he did that is he was wanting to show people, I care more about you and healing you and saving you because the Sabbath wasn't made for man. Man was made for the Sabbath. Does that make sense? So it wasn't that Jesus was against the rules. He just wanted them to understand my mission here. My mission is to give you direct access to God. Now, look at Luke 18 and 9. Again, Jesus is speaking. Here's what he says. There's some who trust in themselves that they were righteous. And because they were righteous, they treated others with contempt. Now, I could literally stay five minutes on this verse because a lot of Pentecostals, Pentecostals in general, because they have a certain standard and because they've been saved a while, they, they look at people with contempt. If you don't dress like me, you're not white like me, you don't spit white like me, then, uh, you know, who are you? 
right? And I've had people, I've had preachers, ladies and gentlemen, not even speak to me because they believe I'm hell bound. I'm telling you, there's preachers that believe I am hell bound because I don't preach that you got to wear your sleeves to your wrist. Do you understand, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not mad at nobody, but do you understand 10 years ago, I didn't even wear a blue shirt. This is how picky it's gotten. You couldn't even wear a blue shirt. It was looked down on because white is a sign of purity. And guess what? You couldn't have tassels on your shoes. And here's another unwritten rule. I couldn't have come up here today without a tie. I'm not mad at anybody. I love the way that I was raised. I have very strong convictions. But ladies and gentlemen, when you get to searching this scripture out, Jesus is saying this. I do not want a person and I don't want anything blocking access to me. Open the doors and open them wide. Let whomsoever will, let them Okay, now if y'all think I'm angry, I promise you, I am not angry at you. I'm not angry at my forefathers or my parents. I'm just sharing with you the way I was raised. All right? Now, here's what Jesus was saying. There are many people that look at contempt with others because they don't act like you, dress like you. They don't know what you know, and so you stiff arm them. And you say... You say, well, my God, I've been paying tithes here for 10 years. Who are you? Hey, punk, get out of my pew. Now, you may not say it that way, right? But that's how we feel. All right, here's what Jesus does. Two men went up to the temple to pray. We're back in Luke. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and checked this out. He prayed about himself. Here he goes. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I want you to see the progression of this. This progression is not happenstance. This is very important. Robbers, they thought robbers were very bad people. And then evildoers, those are getting worse. And then adulterers, that's really bad. But check this out. Tax collectors were even worse than adulterers. Okay. And then here's what he says. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Thank you. Now, you go down to verse 14. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus speaking, I tell you, the man, the tax collector, went down to the house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee. For everyone that exalts himself will be humbled, but the man that humbles himself shall be exalted. Okay, I need some more time. Why would Jesus say, that the tax collector was justified. I have taught you about justification. Justification is a big word, but it means just as if you've never done it. Why did Jesus say the worst of the worst, the tax collector, the sorriest of the sorry was justified? When justification, ladies and gentlemen, has absolutely nothing to do with goodness or with rule following. Jesus justified him because of his humility and his repentant heart. And he knew that no matter what good he did, it was still not good enough. Man, I need to do this into two parts because I got a lot to say. Okay. Now, this is very important. If you haven't woke up, wake up now. This is very important. Brothers and sisters, Pentecostals, the purpose of the Ten Commandments is to show us our sin. The whole purpose of God's law, all of it, was to show man his sin and how exceedingly sinful he is and how holy God is. But the commandments in all of the law have no power to help us. Okay, for example, this is going to help somebody. For example, this mirror can show you that you need to comb your hair. But this mirror cannot comb your hair for you. 
This mirror shows you may have a piece of spinach in your teeth. But this mirror cannot reach up and floss your teeth for you. This mirror may show you that your tie is crooked, but the mirror has no power to straighten your tie. It can only show you what is wrong. When you look at God's law, it shows you what you have done wrong, but God's law has no power to change you. And this is the reason why God sent his only begotten son. And this is why pastor says that everybody, not because I say it, but the Bible says it, that everybody needs to be born again because you can't change yourself on your own. You must be born again. Why? Because when you look in the mirror and you say, I'm a sinner, but I can't change myself, then Jesus comes and he gives you access to God and he gives you his power called the power of the Holy Spirit. And that power is what helps you to change. But the mirror, God's law, only shows you what is needing to change. And this, ladies and gentlemen, we have been taught Pentecostals. I'm not picking on you, but I was taught I was basically, as never said, but I was basically taught that I'm saved by the law. I'm saved by a personal standard. And, and standards, standards in the Pentecostal ranks basically become salvation. And so it's not, and again, I'm not mad at nobody, but if I gotta stay with the word, But what happened was, is we equated standards with salvation. And it wasn't about what Jesus did for us. It was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. That's sweet. But look what I've done. So here's where it's at, ladies and gentlemen. Either you can save yourself or God can save you. But it's not you helping Jesus to save you. And I know that goes against what we were taught, and I understand that. And and so I'm not trying to tell you what to think. I just want to give you something to think about. The law just tells you what's wrong with you, but it doesn't have the power to save you. So Jesus came, and Jesus gave us his grace. So now we are not saved by the law. We are saved by the grace of Almighty God. And Jesus did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Okay, I'm going to explain it this way. It's like a a wealthy individual, a millionaire, multimillionaire, that goes up to your bank and he says, you know what, I want to deposit $10,000 into Drew's account. Drew don't even know about it, but he goes to his bank in the next two or three days and he looks at his account and he says, wow, I got $10,000. I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. I don't deserve it. But this millionaire dropped it into my account. Now, what should you do when you find that millionaire? You should be grateful. You should be thankful. Why? Because you did nothing to earn it. You did nothing to deserve it. And you know what you can do? You can go up and you can say, man, thank you for that $10,000. Man, God supplied my need. That's going to be a huge blessing to me. Thank you for that. But ladies and gentlemen, when you think that it's you that's saving you, you don't walk up to the millionaire and say, thank you. You think that you deserve it. That he should have, in fact, he should have gave you more than 10. He should have gave you 20. And guess what we do? We take the joy out of serving God. And then we start handcuffing God. Well, you should heal me because I pay tithes. And you should bless me because I taught Sunday school for 40 years. And you, I mean, my, oh my God, after all, look at the way I've lived for the last 50 years. You should do this. And God says, that's, you don't understand something. You don't deserve anything. I gave you everything. And it's not based off of what you've done. It's based off of what I've done. 
and what we're doing. I've, uh, I had the great privilege to uh, travel, Janet and I did, for 18 months. For 18 months, we traveled. Uh, literally, the Lord's given me the privilege to preach from California to New Jersey. Never preached in New York or Rhode Island, but I preached from California, mid, mid Midwest, all the way to, to Jersey. I've been in a lot of churches. And I say this with a heavy heart. As I've traveled and been in a lot of churches, I don't see a lot of joy in most churches. Most, and, and again, I'm going to just tell you what I've observed. Maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong before. Maybe I'm wrong now. But in most churches, I don't see a lot of joy in people. And it hurts me because that's a fruit of the Spirit. Why? Even though as bad as it is, as bad as it is, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make earth heaven and earth will never be heaven. And we got a lot of resentment toward God because we think, why did God allow this to happen to me when I've been so good to him? Why haven't God, why hasn't God done this and hasn't done that? I mean, my God, I taught Sunday school for 40 years. I've given hundreds of thousands of dollars to God. I dress right. I do right. I'm all this and that and bag of chips. And why hasn't God done this? And we've got some real resentment in our heart because what we do is, is we think that we're earning it. And guess what that's called? It's called legalism. And you don't hear a lot about legalism in the Pentecostal ranks because most Pentecostals don't think they're legalist. And preachers surely don't. So you don't ever hear about it. But the fact of the matter is, most Pentecostals are legalist. Because they think that they can earn their way into the kingdom of God. And you can't. I can't. Okay? Do you got, you got a few more minutes for me? Okay. What is legalism? Notice what the, what, notice what the, the uh, Pharisee said. He said, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all and I, and I, and I. And the Lord said this tax collector who's done none of that, but realizes he must come in humility and repentance. He's the one who leaves justified because it's not about what you do. Okay. I really, uh, I've got a lot more to say, but I'm going to, I'm going to stop right there because I can tell you're done. Okay. Nothing, ladies and gentlemen, is wrong with the rules. We need rules. Okay. I don't listen to a lot of preachers, not because I don't need preaching. I just don't listen to a lot of preachers. I do other things with my time, but I was listening to a preacher the other day and this preacher, he said, you know, every army, every army has a uniform and he was making himself feel good that he can preach on standards because every army has a uniform. It's amazing to me how people don't really think through some things. Do you understand that every army has a uniform, but do you realize that probably in the last 50 years is the first time that ladies ever started serving in the army? And do you realize that you're trying to say that in order for a standard when if you go to the word of God, every army has a uniform. And so if that is the truth, then our uniform is the whole armor of God. Now, brothers and sisters, do you think for one second that I want women showing their bodies and showing off all of their curves for freedom? Of course not. All of us, men and women, should dress modest because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Anytime you ladies are wanting to show off your body, you really need to go back to the mirror and ask yourself, why am I doing this? You men that want to wear your pants so tight that you show off whatever, you need to look in the mirror and ask yourself, why am I doing this? Because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So all of us have something, and that is by being a Christian, we all have a dress code, and it's called the full armor of God. And we need the sword of the Spirit and the breastplate of righteousness and our feet shod with peace. And the garments of righteousness on us. So don't think for one New York minute that I am getting up here and I am just trying to say, hey, none of it matters. That is not what I am saying. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
But what I am also saying is that when you put things on people just because you were brought up a certain way and you don't give them access and you close the door and you shun them, then your heart needs to go back to an altar because that's what got Jesus upset. If you are a white man and can't love a black man, ask God to help you. If you are a white person and you can't love an Asian, ask God to help you. If you are a man and you have no respect for a woman, ask God to help you. Because Jesus loves the red, the yellow, the black, the white, the Gentiles, the Samaritans. He loves every one of us. And the reason why he came was to give us access to God. Would you stand with me? Really, I, I, I know in 45 minutes, I'm still not done, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be easy on you because I know the mind can only handle what the seat can endure. Those of you that will, please just stay with me. If you got to go, I understand, but if you don't have to go, please don't go. How can we, how can we, ladies and gentlemen, get the joy back? I believe it is Sister June stays with her convictions because she's been in this 60 years. But when God brings you in, you don't know what she knows. But when you get the same God that she gets, God's going to start convicting you. He's going to start talking to you about what you should do and shouldn't do. But as long as we are comparing one another then guess what? And as long as we are looking you up and down, seeing if you pass our sniff test, then you're going to get judgmentalism in your heart. You're going to become a legalist. And then all of your service is going to be trying to obligate God to do something for you. And when you do all of your service to try to obligate God to do something for you, then it takes the joy out of it. And a lot of Christians today are not joyful because they don't think God's given them what they deserve. Because if, you know what, God, I'm going to tell you something. If I was this good I, and I was God, I'd treat me better than what you treated me. And I'm sorry, that's legalism. Because all you and I do really deserve is death. But Jesus didn't give us what we deserve. He gave us what he deserved and he took what we deserved. Okay, I'm, I, I am wrapping this up. I want you to hear my heart. Religion, ladies and gentlemen, religion is based on performance. What you do, how much you pray, how much you fast, how much you give, how much you serve. But Christianity is based on a person. I'm going to say it again. Religion is based on performance, but Christianity is based on a person. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Now, I'm going to end service different. I typically don't do this, but I've been listening to this. Uh, I've been listening to this song um, a lot this week, and it, and it has a Jamaican jive to it. So you have to really listen to the words, but it's, it's called one touch. And I don't think that we can get the words up on the screen, but it's a really cool play on words because what he's talking about, he's talking about the woman with the issue of blood. And he says, here's the words of it. His him, H E M. Okay. When she touched his him, him touched her. And it's a really cool play on words, but you got to kind of listen because he's got this, you know, he's got this, like this Jamaican jive. So it's probably not what most of you like, but you just got to listen to the words, okay? Because what he says is one touch changes everything. One touch. Okay. I'm going to bring this whole message down to what this means. The reason why God got so mad at the religious leaders is because they were stopping, trying to stop him from touching people. 
if they didn't look like them, act like them, talk like them, dress like them. And Jesus knows that one touch changes everything. One touch changes everything. I'm going to end, I promise you, with a series of questions. And here it is. When you were at church, please listen to your pastor who loves you very, very much. When you were at church, do you intentionally seek out people, welcome them, seek to serve them, and love them? Or do you just come to your pew, sit down, and soak? I'm going to ask you another question. Do you inconvenience yourself for the sake of seeing others be introduced to Jesus? Or is it about, oh, i got to get to church because i got to get my parking spot in my pew? I'm going to ask you another question. Do you judge this church by how well it conveniences you and how comfortable this church is for you? Or do you judge it by how it gives you an opportunity to serve others? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask you this question again. When you're at church, do you intentionally seek out new people, welcome them, seek to serve them, and love them? Do you inconvenience yourself for the sake of serving others and introducing them to Jesus? Do you judge this church and your pastor by how I meet your needs? Or do you judge it by an opportunity that you can serve others? Because the greatest joy you're ever going to have is when you use your gifts that God gave you to serve others. And one touch changes everything. And if we got the doors shut... Because we're Pentecostals and we got this lease on this truth and nobody's going to heaven but us. I'm going to tell you that's legalism and God hates it. So all I'm asking, this song is about seven minutes long and you don't have to full stay the full seven minutes. But I want them to play this song. And when they're playing this song, I just want you to listen to the words. I just want you to ask yourself, is this church all about your convenience? Or is this church about introducing others to Jesus? Because one touch can change everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.